Good evening, everybody. Welcome to God Talk with Tara. I'm Tara. We're going to dive in with prayer and get kicked off on a rather uncomfortable thought that the Lord brought to my mind today through a friend. Father God, thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us. And thank you, Father, for the weight of the responsibilities that you give us. Lord, I pray today that you would open our ears to hear you, that you would make me small, Father God, that my words would be your words, that Christ would be magnified, you would be glorified, Lord God, in all that we say and all that we do. I pray, Father, that you would create in us clean hearts, Lord God, that you would bring purity where there is uncleanness in any shape in our lives. I pray, Lord, where there is hardness or bitterness or anger, you would cleanse it, Father, and replace it with your glory, your love, and your grace. I pray, Father, where we are impatient, you would make us patient with your patience, that the fruit of your spirit would dwell richly in each one of us who hears this tonight. And Father, I pray that we would go with boldness to those around us, to those you send us to, to the world, Father God, with the message of hope and grace and love and righteousness and justice and mercy that you have given us in your gospels, Father, in your Son, and in your Spirit. We ask all of this, Lord God, in Christ's name and by your Spirit and all for your honor and glory. So earlier today, I was on Facebook. Um, I am probably there more than I should be. Uh, and a friend of mine had posted about the passiveness of the church. And she mentioned that regardless of what end times or last days scenario um, we may be in. My friend's name is Marie. Um, and she says basically that the church for... A lot of the church, um, particularly those that predict that we are in the fall of the end times, that we have come into revelation and America must fall and um, for the prophecies to be fulfilled and, and other various things going on. And I've seen what she's talking about. So in a lot of the prophetic churches, they have a very fatalistic attitude Um and they predict that now is the time, that we are now in the end times. And as such, that there's nothing we can do to prevent the destruction that is coming upon the world right now. Now, I will say, I want to touch on this whole prophetic thing and this end times thing um, real briefly, because it's not something I dive into a lot. And it's not something you're going to ever hear me dive into a lot. And here's why. All of the doom and gloom prophets in the world may be absolutely correct. Every one of those that is predicting that we are in the seven years of tribula tribulation as laid out in, in Revelation, um, they might be right. I guarantee you right now that we are in the last days. Why do I say we are in the last days? Because scripture says we're in the last days. Peter says that when he is talking about his day 
And we understand that the last days, as it is put in scripture, generally refers to the time after Christ ascended into heaven. It is the days of the church. It is the time of the Holy Spirit in the people of God, building the church of God. This is the last days. The next days that come will be the return of Christ. That is a whole different thing. So right now we are definitely in the last days. Are we in Revelation? I don't know. More importantly, neither does anyone else. We can look to the signs that Christ gave us, but if you look at the words that are used in the Revelation of John, um, there's a lot of allegory. There is a lot of imagery that could fit multiple time periods in history and multiple places and peoples. And it is very difficult to claim that this is that day. And people have been claiming for centuries that this is that day, that we are in the days of revelation. Um, and I will tell you something else that I have said on many occasions before we go into the rest of this. I would be delighted were it the last days. Because if it is not the last days, it is simply one of the cycles of wickedness rising, of God's people turning away from him, and of a horrific need for correction that will be met eventually by a merciful God who does not want to leave his creation under the ever-growing power of darkness. And we see these corrections throughout history, and they are always hard. And the longer they take, the longer it takes for God's people to turn back to him, and God's people to do what they are called to do, and God's people to be his people, to be what he asks them to be in the world, the more difficult those corrections are, the harder they are for the world. So at the moment, if I knew that Jesus was coming back at the end of all of the things that are going on, uh, I would take great delight in that. And I do know that sooner or later he is coming back, and I do take great delight in that. But in the meantime, it does not matter if we are in the days of tribulation or if we are simply in one more cycle of falling away and needing restoration our responsibility as Christians is still the same. And this is what my friend Marie was talking about. She was talking that we are called to exercise the authority that Christ has given us in the world. We are called to be salt and light in the world. We are called to be good stewards of what God has given us, to carry the hope that he has given us into the world, to carry the correctives that he has given us into the world, to carry on doing what Christ has called us to do. I remember I used to see signs that would say, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? And I'm like, well, if I'm doing it right, I would be doing the same thing today that I'm doing tomorrow. Because the fact of the matter is, Jesus is already present in me and in you by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he left his church here to be his ambassadors in the world, period. That is our job. And it doesn't matter what time we are in, it is still our job until the day we are no longer here on earth. So 
if you believe in a pre-trib rapture, if you believe in a post-trib or what doesn't matter to what we're saying here, to what I'm saying here, to what God says here. You are here on this earth. And as long as you are here on this earth, it is your job to represent the King of heaven. You are his agent. You are his ambassador. You have been sent here for a purpose and you have been given a responsibility and it is your job to exercise it. And if you don't, there are consequences. And this is the other thing that really kind of triggered the thoughts for tonight in uh, my friend referenced Luke 19, but I actually came to Matthew 25. And we're going to read this whole section from 14 to 30. It's a little bit long. If you haven't figured that out by now, I really like scripture. <laughs> and, and since I don't usually have a whole lot of time to prep, I don't do what, you know, most pastors will chop down the scripture to just a couple little verses that they're going to preach on. I like context. It's important. So we're going to read the whole thing. And we're going to kind of focus a little bit on, on what God is saying to us. So picking up in Matthew 25, verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So this is Jesus speaking. We know this as the parable of the talents. To one, he gave five talents to another uh, two and to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what strikes me here is the church, and particularly the church here in America, isn't doing its job. So where we sit in 
preach nothing but love, 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 and grace, and we do not preach repentance, we are holding on to the hope that we have and burying it in the backyard because we are fearful that it might drive people away. And so we think that by speaking a partial gospel to people, we will have something to show the Lord and he will forgive us for the fact that we really haven't done a good job of drawing people in and of making people disciples of Christ. Because here's the thing about being a disciple of Christ. The Great Commission is not go and make uh, seat warmers. The Great Commission is not go and get people to sign a card and say that Jesus is, is Lord and profess with their mouth and believe in their hearts that he was raised from the dead. That's not actually the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple, Jesus goes on to explain what this is, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Now, if we want to look at what Christ commands, we don't have to read over and over all of the things he ever said. There's three very clear commands that Jesus gives to his people that he would expect them to teach new disciples and translate. So the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. That is the greatest commandment according to Christ. The second would be like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The third would be, this is a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So he also goes on to say that they will know that we love him if we obey him. And so Christ's commands constituted a law of grace that included obedience to the law of the Lord that they had been given. Now, it wasn't a, a dogmatic obedience to every dot and tittle, even though he talks about dots and tittles. Um, it was a understanding that God desires us to be in relationship with him. And out of the love that we have for him, we are to be righteous in our behavior, not on our own, but through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And we are to move the way that the Holy Spirit moves us. And we are to invest ourselves. We are to pour ourselves out for the drawing in of others to Jesus Christ. We are to lift Jesus up so that he will draw men to him. We as his disciples are supposed to be obedient to his call and they, he tells us that we will listen to him and we'll do what he says. And that's how people know that we love him. That's how he knows that we love him, that our obedience is a function of our love for him. Now understand this has nothing to do with earning salvation. This is not about that. This is about the fact that Jesus tells us that if we are his disciples, we will be obedient to him. Okay, so this is a message that we have. This is one of the talents that God has given us, right? 
So he's given us a bunch of talents if you want to get right down to it. But this is one of the talents that God has given us that we are to be obedient. We're to make disciples and teach them to be obedient. So if we are a church who is preaching nothing but grace and love and is not teaching repentance and is not teaching the need for transformation, then we're burying one of our talents in the ground. We're wicked servants who are slothful because we don't want to do the hard work of meeting people where they are and teaching them what it is to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, on the other hand, if we are doing nothing but preaching hell and damnation and repentance without the hope of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. So in other words, if we love our neighbors in a way that says you're terrible, wicked and awful and you're going to hell, and oh yeah, you should pray this prayer. But even then, you should still be afraid because God is wrathful. And that's all we preach is the repentance part. And we don't preach in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And we don't preach that Jesus loves you. He loves you enough to have come down from heaven, emptied himself of the glory of the throne of God, to have come down in the form of a little baby, to live life as a human being so that we could relate to God, so that we could see God and understand God, that he came in the form of a man so that we could step past the fact that God is God and relate to this man God that came perfectly man, perfectly God to show us what it looked like to live in communion with the creator of the universe. And he came knowing we would nail him to a tree and that he would die suffering. He loved us. He loved us with more than we can ever imagine. And if we are preaching damnation and repentance without the forgiveness of that love that brings the transformation that Jesus requires of his disciples, then we are leaving people stuck trying to Obey God without the power of God's transformation in them. And we leave them in a perpetual state of being apart from the Lord because they have not received the grace of God that allows them to be transformed. And again, we're burying one of our talents in the ground and we're wicked and slothful servants who are not meeting people where they are with the truth and the grace and the love and the mercy and the justice of God. Now, the thing that Marie pointed out about this that really struck me about the church in America today is even the churches that do this well, even the ones who have a balanced gospel, who teach the people who come in their doors who Jesus was, and they teach them righteousness and grace. They teach them truth and love. They teach them repentance and forgiveness, that they teach all of this. They do not teach well 
how to carry that truth and reality into the rest of our lives. And this is where the multiplication of talents comes from. Because if you leave your talents buried in the church where nobody will hear them unless they come in the walls of your church, and frequently that is all we do, or we have events that we label as evangelism that nobody is going to come to except those who are already inclined to hear Jesus a lot of times, or that people in their hearts are prepared to have a bad reaction to or a surface reaction to because of the way things are presented. If you are not genuinely living your life as a Christian in your workplace, in your home, in your hobbies, on the ball field with your buddies, in your book club, at your crochet place. If you're not actively living the gospel and living Jesus in your life, and you're not actively engaged in listening for the Holy Spirit and allowing him to speak through you to the people around you every single day, no matter where you go. And I'm not talking about standing in line at the grocery store and saying, have you heard of my friend Jesus? Let me walk you down the Romans road. This is not what I mean. Now, that is not to say that that's never a time to do that. There are times when the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear that you need to speak something to somebody, do it. I don't care what it makes you feel like. I don't care if it makes you feel crazy. But what I am saying is that we as Christians need to be disciples of Jesus Christ who are being obedient to him. And the way that we be obedient to the, the Lord of creation is that he put his spirit in us to dwell in us, to be our guide, to bring to mind the things we need to know in everything we do. And so we need to be tuned and willing to be obedient in every moment to live lives as Christians, as examples of what it looks like to be salt and light in the world, as examples of what it looks like to live a life that is different, that is marked by Christ, that is marked by the circumcision of the heart that helps us to reject wickedness and to embrace goodness and grace. And the way that God calls us to love people, to walk in peace, to walk in joy, to walk in gentleness and self-control and kindness and forgiveness and patience and goodness. And I'll tell you right now, today, I have failed miserably at this. So please hear that I am preaching to me right now as much as I am preaching to the rest of us. But the fact is I failed and know I fail because most of the time I don't because the Lord has come into me to change me and tell me that that's the goal that I should have is to walk in the righteousness of Christ, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ all the time, that the fruit of the spirit should be the reflection that comes out of me into the world around me. And that is what we as the church are called to do in every area of our lives. We are called to impact the culture around us. Every conversation we have, every relationship we have, every interaction we have should be a moment in time where the people around us that we meet are encountering Jesus Christ and it makes an impact on them. That who we are in the world as ambassadors for Christ should be making an impact 
on the culture around us. And instead, so frequently, we have sat down and remained quiet because we don't want to rock the boat. Somebody else posted something about that, that we have this notion of niceness, that we've allowed the world to define us as we're supposed to be nice in worldly terms. And we get squirmy if any of our Christian brothers and sisters speak in ways that the world doesn't consider nice. And I was really impressed with what I was reading because it's not just the flipping tables thing with Jesus. When we think about that, Jesus was never unkind. And I want you to understand that because kindness is a fruit of the spirit. And it's part of all the rest. And so Jesus was never unkind, but there were definitely times where he was not nice. As we would consider it, he was certainly not always polite. There were times when he called people to their faces, whitewashed tombs, broods of vipers, filled with dead bones. And I want you to hear me when I say that that was a kindness to the, the people he was speaking to and to the people that were hearing him because they needed to know that the things that they were celebrating, the things that they were walking in were going to kill them eternally. We're going to separate them from God eternally. And if we don't tell people that, if we are not willing to say, Pornography is a wickedness and it will send you to hell because it separates you from God. If we are not willing to say cheating on your wife is adultery and it will send you to hell because it separates you from God. Right now, you are not in line with who you are called to be as a Christian. And if you're claiming yourself to be a Christian and you are not walking as one, there is going to come a moment of reckoning. There is going to come a moment of reckoning and the longer it takes, the worse it is going to be for you. And here's the problem. If we don't do that internally within the church and we don't do that externally outside of the church, then all of society dies. There is no salt and light and gradually the world becomes dark. And I used to think it became tasteless, but it doesn't. It becomes overheated. It becomes infused with fake fiery Cheeto popcorn. Um, sorry, my granddaughter's obsessed with that stuff. And that's really the thing, though, is we become obsessed with seeking more and more to fill that hole, that gaping, ravenous hole that the wickedness around us creates in our hearts. And we stuff this down with more and more heat. And we find ourselves doing nothing but dying of thirst for the living water. And we find ourselves trapped in a, in a culture that is feeding on itself and imploding as a result of the loss of Christians being who they are called to be, of the loss of our talents being buried in the backyard instead of being carried around with us and invested in the world around us. 
instead of being used to spread the kingdom of God, to multiply the kingdom of God, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey the commands that God has given so that they will go and make disciples, teaching them to obey the commands that God has given. And that part of those commands is the love and the joy and the grace of God that draws us out of our sins and into repentance so that we can be forgiven and the world will be changed. Christian brothers and sisters, it is time for us to stop burying our talents in the backyard. God will not look well on that. He calls us to use what he has given us to grow the kingdom. To grow one another, to love one another well, and then to go love our neighbor. And only after we have loved God with everything we are first, so that we will be full of his spirit, full of his fruit, so that we carry that into the world. Brothers and sisters, let us do that. The time is drawing near. Whether it is the end of the world or simply the end of us, we only have a limited number of days on this world to do the work that God has created us to do. And the time is drawing near. I want to stand before my Father and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I imagine that you do too. Father God, we thank you for the investments that you've made in us. We thank you for what you've given us, Lord God, to steward for you, whether it is great or small. We ask you, Father God, to guide us in using what you have given us to multiply your kingdom. We ask you to give us courage, Father God. We ask you to give us eyes to see you for the glorious, amazing, loving God that you are. We ask you to give us eyes to see your righteousness and your justice too. We ask you, Father, to give us words to speak truth in every situation, whatever that truth may be, no matter how uncomfortable or how encouraging, Father. Whatever the person that you send us to is needing to hear, Father God, give us the words to speak your truth into the lives of the people around us so that they will see you and know you and come to you. Father, do not let us be cowards. Do not let us be complacent. Do not let us be content with our one talent buried in the backyard, waiting for you to return so we can give you what's yours. Lord God, help us to multiply and help us to recognize, Father God, when we are sitting on your treasures instead of passing them out to all who will come. We thank you, Father, for all you do. We ask in Jesus' name and by your spirit and all for your honor and glory. Be blessed and be a blessing.